0: hi everyone welcome to a new episode of paratalk and on this week's episode i'm going to get a bit uh a bit crypto so i thought to myself who can i get on an episode and talk about bigfoot so i thought well let's bring on paul Bestall of mysteries and monsters podcast and uh let's talk some sasquatch hello paul hello thank you for inviting me pleasure to be here Reeves. that's all right so um before we uh get all sasquatch Where did the podcast come from? How did that, how did that come about?
1: So it's, it's been a a long time coming. Um, I've been a purveyor of of podcasts for quite a long time. You started off listening to Unexplained with Howard Hughes and the Paracast with uh, Gene Steinberg Ah, in the States, probably about 2009, 2010 when I started to use podcasts as my main source of, of entertainment really. Mm. And it's, it's kind of developed from there and I've, ended up getting bitten by the bug and just listening to more and more um and it was my brother that got me into them and then eventually my brother just said you know really you should start one because with the greatest of respect you know quite a lot about some of these things that perhaps some other shows don't know or you're basically i'm a bit of a obsessive weirdo reeves and um (laughs) When I yeah uh, when I get a bee in my bonnet about a particular subject, I tend to devour as much as possible, and I and I'd uh, really start to reconnect with things, and I'd been speaking with Guy Lyon Playfair, so I'd been chewing over trying to do something, and I, I, it took me a long time, and I had some personal challenges with my health for quite a while, and then about four and a half years ago, I kind of thought, well, my brother's been at me for ages, and I thought, what well, what what's the worst that could happen? Why not just give it a go? So. Uh, I bought a microphone and it sat on my shelf for about six months staring at me saying, uh, you know, when are you going to start using me? And then
0: March 2019, we took the we took the plunge and uh, and we've grown steadily ever since. I have been listening to uh, uh, quite a number of your episodes. I do like a little bit of uh, a little bit of Sasquatch. Um, mm-hmm. abominable snowman all that sort of stuff i do like a bit yeah. of the old the crypto stuff it really gets you thinking but not only do you do your own thing you're a part of uh, the ghost story guys as well aren't you
1: yeah so i've been working on that since the beginning of 2021 so i've been doing that just over two years as well with with brennan's store um who we'd we'd built a relationship up prior to this as you say in regards to one of the great things about doing podcasts in this particular field is being able to speak with people whose books or articles you've read or documentaries you've seen and you end up building a connection and and even making friends with some of them which is which is quite humbling when i think back at some of the people i i asked on all those years ago and uh, and now they will ring me or ask me to to help out and do things which is which is something i often find deeply humbling so um i, I was invited to kind of help out with that and i've i've been there ever since so yeah other than other than coming down with COVID at the beginning of last year, I've, I think I've done about 58 episodes of that as well on top of, you know, cause I need more to do in my life. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I know that feeling been there, but um, what I was going to say was, um, of course I always ask this question to all of the, everyone I get on, I need to ask this question. I know what you do. I know you sort of have your podcasts and you do use your, your crypto and your ghosts and stuff, but where did it all start? What, what, what got you to running down that path? You know, as a child, what what, what sort of triggered it?
1: Well, it was it was a, a culmination of things. My grandmother would consider herself to be a white witch, so we were quite a spiritually inclined family who had a deep belief in ghosts and the supernatural. I, as a as a very small child, was obsessed with universal horror films, so Dracula and Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and all that. Loved all those as a kid. I was just drawn to the to the supernatural and the strangest, and we in between all this i also we were living in a haunted house at the time um which was which was it wasn't um it was one of those where it was more annoying than anything um a bit peculiar it was an old vicarage, so yeah the building was about i don't know i think it was i think that it was built about seventeen fifty and it had been converted into three separate houses, and we lived in the middle one, so there was always Strange things going on and footsteps and the toilet would flush on its own and things would fall from the ceiling and babysitters would do one night and then they wouldn't come back. So whereas when you're sort of five or six, you just sort of roll with it, don't you? And think, wow, this is this is cool. Um <laughs> well we did anyway. Um and then it, it kind of towards the end of the 70s, um, beginning of the eighties, it was kind of like a high point for for people of our age, I think, Reeves, where not only had we got um, Enfield going on, mm. Rendlesham happened, yep. we'd got R. C. Clarke on the television, we got the Unexplained magazine. It seemed to be quite a, a cultural touchpoint for impressionable young people, I think, in the UK at that particular period of time that sort of bit me. And then from that point on, it was, right, try and devour as many books about ghosts and the abominable snowman as I could possibly find. And it uh, it, it sort of drifted along... From there, really?
0: Yeah, I. You saying that? I mean, the uh, Arthur C. Clarke um, Unexplained Magazine. Uh, the day that I got that first magazine and got home, and I got my the little flexi disc, the Voices from the Dead flexi disc um, <laughs> thing, and you put it on your little record player, and it and it just goes, vroom, and so you have to get the two p's on it and 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 <laughs> wait wait the stylus down so it plays. Yeah, and of course I, I played that thing to death and. My me, me, me mum comes and goes, what the hell's that? You know, where'd you get the, it's, oh, it's Voices from the Dead. Oh, okay, your dinner's on, <laughs> your dinner's ready. But um, yeah. I, w- I, I was totally taken with it. And of course, you know, uh, going going one step further, we had the TV show, didn't we? Uh, mm-hmm. C. Clark's Mysterious World and that. And, and of course, that takes you into another realm of actually seeing stuff and people saying, oh, you know, it, Alien landed on the roof and, you mm-hmm. know. And little Johnny came out, and it took him away. Uh, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I just actually seeing interviews with people. So, th- just another level, and that's what kind of got me hooked in as well. As I was to say like yourself, but what I was going to say was, uh, you you grew up in a a haunted house uh, mm-hmm. as a child. You, Your kind of mind is a little bit disconnected from reality because you know things out there in the world aren't important. What's important is mm-hmm. action men. Uh, and playing with your mates and that's it, (laughs) you know, and and going on explores uh, places. So did you find that it did did it psychologically? Did you ever see anything or like a ghost or whatever?
1: Well, apparently I had a visitor who would sit on the edge of my bed most nights when I was uh, four or five years old and I would constantly talk to this old man who came to visit me. I don't remember much about it to be honest, Reeves. Um, my mum and my stepfather remember it better than I do. There aren't many. I'm not one of those people who's got sort of a a, a photographic memory mm. for, for periods of my life. There's not many memories that stick out at that period of, of time, really. I remember getting a car transporter for my third birthday and a scooter and the time we found a giant worm in the front garden and, and you know, weird things that you remember as a child. Yeah. To, I remember it very, very vaguely. Um, but it would tend to be a different entity or haunting to what was going on in the rest of the house. The old man wasn't where, what was going on in the rest of the house because I could see him and I never saw anything else in the rest of the house. So it's quite peculiar that obviously they would hear me talking often on a night to somebody and just having very pleasant conversations about history, apparently.
0: Well, that's uh, certainly different. You know, maybe maybe the ghost did <laughs> was a maybe it had, they had an interest in history, maybe yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what he enjoyed doing in the afterlife. Who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. I I think that when you're a child, uh, your your mind is completely uh, it's not polluted by all the things mm-hmm. that you get polluted with when you get older. And I think that your mind is more open when you're a child. I think that, mm-hmm. that a lot of things that we experience. You know, I had this friend and uh, he had a he had a make believe friend and everywhere we went his friend came with him and Mm. uh, he used to talk to his friend uh, and he would say, Oh, save some, whatever he's coming with us. And I'm like, Ooh, I can't see him. And he would, my mate would get really angry. He's there. He stood right next to you. And I'm like, I can't see no one. So, uh, yeah. Um, So maybe he did, maybe he was able to see beyond the realms of normal vision or something. I don't know, but I do think that kids are a little bit more disconnected from, Reality in a in a positive way, in a good way, as where mm. when we get older, we become more sort of uh, cynical, more kind of shuttered, and our yep. our kind of worldview is a little bit more uh, tainted in in a way. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. I don't mean I don't mean that in a I don't mean I don't mean to sound negative or anything, but you know it, you get older, you get a bit more angry. Every day that goes by as you get older, you get a bit more angry about things. So, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Absolutely. It, it does have an effect. It has a bit of a knock on effect. Okay, so moving on. you are grown up now, yeah, right? You, so. You've done your childhood. You've grown up. You've <laughs> left school, right? Um, mm. And of course, you, your thing is kind of um, cryptos and stuff like that. Where did that interest come from?
1: Arthur C. Clarke and getting a book. The, uh, what was it? the uh, There was the collection of books that came out at the end of the 70s. That are currently just being re-released. Re- the Hamelin,
0: yeah, yeah guides, I know the ones, yeah, ghosts, yep,
1: ghosts, UFOs, and monsters. Yeah, um, I'd never heard of of Sasquatch until I'd read that and then saw the footage on Arthur C. Clark back in oh, when was that September 1980.
0: Oh, it was, yeah, it was got to be early 80s, yeah,
1: yeah, somewhere around there. And so that kind of it just really, I don't know why it appealed to me more than the Yeti. I kind of left the Yeti behind. But I, I like all hairy cryptids from around the world these days, especially the Yowie. I think is, has has become a, a firm favourite of mine as well. So it, it it's something there. But the strange thing was, I kind of indoors did in all these kind of things till I got to about thirteen or fourteen, and then it just it was something that I just completely put on the back burner mm. for about twenty years yeah. till my mid thirties. Um, I mean, I the one thing that I'd stayed with keeping an interest in was obviously during the mid nineties with the X-Files and everything Reeves, I really devoured a lot of things in that particular era and, and, and started reading the 14 times, which I'd continued to read all the way through. Whereas everything else that I was really interested in, like ghosts and monsters and hauntings and UFOs just completely fell by the wayside. So until about 10, 15 years ago, I'd kind of left it all behind for about 20 years. So it's, it just, once I went back, I just had a, a probably as more passion for for the whole range of subjects than I'd had since I was about 10 years old I think.
0: Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from with that because when I um when I sort of became a teenager, my my brain kind of emptied and I just wanted to go and get drunk and go to parties and chase girls or whatever uh mm-hmm. and, and that's all I wanted to do I didn't have any interest in doing anything constructive in a way that you know reading books or whatever that all that my interest kind of got shelved and it was uh, you say uh, 20 years I, I must have been in my mid 30s when I started mm. to get an interest in it again I, I happened to find some uh books that my dad had given me that I put in a box somewhere and mm. uh I just kind of read them again and I thought you know I'm, this is interesting and of course, you start to surround yourself with people that are like-minded and that, that kind of bolsters your interest as well. Yeah. But um, I was going to say, when, when it comes to things like Sasquatch and uh, the Abominable Snowman and things like that, we always think, well, all live, they all live in America, don't they? All the Sasquatches mm. are in America or they're in the, uh, the jungles or whatever. Uh, they, don't, they don't live in England. But apparently, <laughs> there's been lots of sightings of big hairy men in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm
1: I'm uh I view this with a I mean this is the other thing about this. When people think you talk about these subjects, Reeves, they think you'll believe anything. Yeah. Or you'll just accept Think. I am, regardless of my love of these particular subjects, I am still very skeptical of of a lot of things I see and read across hauntings and paranormal investigations and cryptid reports and sightings of strange objects in the sky. So the UK has always had a history of people coming across hulking great shadows wandering around. And it's only recently that people say that they believe that they are seeing what they believe to be some kind of Bigfoot. Um, I wouldn't, dispute as as someone that finds fault with certain skeptical explanations about famous cases where people are just dismissed out of hand and i'm not going to go all in in there the only possible explanation i can suggest for what people think they see is the the whole cosmic trickster vibe that's Mm. going on Mm. um because it's i don't know it's it's something i find i've got a real hard time with to be honest that's not to say i'm right or wrong however having heard some recordings of what people have said where it's clearly foxes i'm dubious i've i've know enough about the countryside and the creatures that live in it to know what certain creatures sound like in the middle of the night um <laughs> and uh i've, I've it's a bone of contention i know um I have run afoul of some notable characters who are purportedly promoting the whole British Bigfoot theory. Um, so it's not something I give much time to, I shall say that.
0: So I... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you answered that question quite, quite concisely. <laughs> Thank you. So, no, but I was going to say... Um, it is a new thing. Yeah. It's a reasonably new phenomenon. The UK uh, Bigfoot phenomenon is, is a rather mm. new thing. And it's, I'm not saying, I don't mean it, it you know, it, it's been around for like a week. It's been around for a while, but it's yeah. kind of getting sort of, uh, people are talking about it. And, um, of course, you know, we've got the hairy man sightings of, um, and chase, uh, which mm-hmm. is a place full of, maybe we'll touch on that a little bit, but that's a place full of, uh, weirdness in itself. Yes. Um, yeah. So what I was going to say was, when it comes to people and they have uh, uh, witnessing big hairy beast men or, or whatever they might be, potentially, I'm not saying, I mean, that this is you know fact or anything, but potentially, could you think there could be a a paranormal factor at play?
1: I, I don't understand sometimes, Reeves, why one explanation has to explain every aspect of it because you know and i i once said this quite flippantly but the the more i think about it the more sense it can make in certain cases is i don't understand if if you believe in the supernatural and you have an interest in hauntings i have a big love of animal spirits and animal ghost encounters and people who have encounters with uh, departed pets or or animals appearing in places that they shouldn't be where they could only be a ghost and i i find it very odd that people are very happy to accept that Bigfoot might be some kind of transcendental creature from another dimension crossing over or some kind of alien visitor. And nobody ever kind of thinks, well, maybe I'm seeing a ghost rather Mm. than anything else. Mm. Because obviously in some of the reports, obviously there seems to be a bit of a, situation here where people seem to think there are thousands of reports where Bigfoot seem to be acting very strangely or unusually, whereas really there's not that number of them. There's some very odd cases which you can't sort of poo-poo. Obviously, the work Stan Gordon's done over at Chestnut Ridge in Pennsylvania is a prime example of of very odd peculiar, and I've seen encounters and and heard witnesses talk about things that that defy the law of what we believe creature's in the real world can do. So it would be ignorant of me to to dismiss them all out of hand. Um, it is peculiar, but I don't understand why there seems to be some theory, whereas you'll get people who say it has to be flesh and blood compared to others who say it has to be supernatural or, or interdimensional reads. Why can't it be a bit of everything? Why does it have to be an all or nothing situation? It's the same as ghosts and hauntings. Why do they all have to be, the ghosts of departed people it has to be the ghost of, a, of 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 someone that's died whereas i think you if you look at everything and give a blanket explanation for one particular type of phenomenon it doesn't take you very long to find massive holes start appearing in that explanation
0: regarding you know is it grandma or is it something else or is it a demon um <laughs> i uh, i'm i'm always sort of a little bit on the, the i mean i love ghosts i love the paranormal in in general i'm a very open-minded person i am a little mm. bit i like to be a little bit skeptical as well but mm. in general i'll always look at the most you know be open-minded listen to everyone's uh, uh feedback and kind of draw an opinion from it um mm. but I, yeah i do think that not everything is uh you know uh, for example Three days after my dad died, I was sat in my bedroom in the morning, wide awake, and I heard him call my name like he was in the room with me. So was that mm. my brain? Was that my was that some sort of subconscious uh, manifestation projecting uh, some audible thing in, into the yeah. ether? Or was that my dad come back going, oi, oi, I'm still around, you know, so who knows? I don't mm. know. So, yeah, I, I think that that's fascinating. But what I was going to say was I'm not going to run away from Bigfoot just yet. But I was going to mm. say to you that with the paranormal and Bigfoot and people have been in forests and they've had in, in encounters um, mm. and they've said, oh, yeah, I saw the Bigfoot. He was on the ridge. He was having a look. But the weird thing was that when I saw him, the whole forest went dead quiet. Or mm. I saw a Bigfoot fella and he was all shimmering like uh, he was kind of in, semi-invisible and then he vanished. Mm. What, what do you think's mm. going on there? What, is that? Is that some sort of... Um, interdimensional portal thing going on there or is it maybe someone's sort of imagining a little bit or are they tapping into something
1: else well i think it's one of those things if you've ever spent any time in the countryside or or out camping or or hiking or anything at night there is nothing more unsettling than not being able to hear anything because it's it's very noisy (laughs) if you if you're in a wood at 11 o'clock trust me it's very noisy all night, there's always somebody shouting or, or whatever. Like round here where I live, there's a, you know, we've got some lovely parks and you know, we're not far from the Peak District. The noises you hear here at two or three o'clock in the morning <laughs> when you've got owls flying about, squawking their heads off, terrifying people and foxes screaming and all kinds of stuff. There's There's always something going on. So as with anything, usually animals will go very quiet if there's a predator around. When you hear those kind of encounters where you where people describe the whole atmosphere changing, it's almost as if they're in some kind of sphere of silence. Mm. That's a pretty normal response from the animal kingdom to a predator because you don't want to alert them to, that, to your presence. Like I say, it's one of those things. When people describe certain aspects to it, you have to view that encounter based on what you're being told. And I think often, regardless of which side of the fence you're falling on, you can't explain it away just because it doesn't fit into what you think it is. You have to take it on its merits. You might not agree with it. You might not believe it. But you can't dismiss it just because what you're being told doesn't sit comfortably with you.
0: Mm. When I think about Bigfoot, is one of the things I think about is, is there like a community? Is there like a community of Bigfoots? Like, do they have like mm. a, you know... I'm not saying they have, like, shops or anything like that or live in houses, <laughs> but you know what I mean? They, <laughs> yeah, they yeah, haven't got do, jobs. I there do, isn't, maybe. like, uh, like uh, you know, uh, a Bigfoot king or anything like that. But well, maybe there is. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe there's, like, one king, and then he tells everyone what to do. I don't know. When you hear these stories, you don't think, well, I walk around the corner, and then there was five Bigfoots having a chat, and they all looked at me. You know, they, you always seem hmm. to encounter these hmm. beings either on their own And then they're just there and then they're gone. They don't seem to be part of any, like, you'd think by now that a hunter or someone who knows the forest really well. I know the forests over in America are huge Mm. the national parks are massive. But you'd think that they might stumble on a, like a community of them or like a Mm. village of them or something. I I don't know what you'd call like a a group of Bigfoots, Mm. you know, that live together. Not all yeah. in the same tree or whatever, but you know what I mean. But yeah. well, what what yeah, do you think yeah. about that? Well, do you think that there is places pockets of if they are uh, if they are sort of flesh and blood and not just like paranormal, as in like spirit bears or whatever? Do you think that mm. there that that could that's a possibility?
1: Multiple creatures being sighted are aren't unheard of. They're rare, but they're not unheard of. It all depends on what type of creature you believe bigfoot or sasquatch to be wherever whichever continent you're you're looking at because obviously these spread the entire world with the exception of western Europe and Antarctica really every sort of continent has a as a well established hairy biped wandering around of some description we try to prescribe behaviors to creatures we've yet to really discover based on what we know so people believe that bigfoot's some kind of giant ape then you only have to look at how a an ape or or uh, monkey population works where they have hierarchies and they have social groups. But as you say, that makes an excellent point in the fact that most of the time one creature on its own is encountered. And therefore, do they then live in a situation where they are more akin to how a big cat lives, where they may have a mate and that will be them. They don't Mm. have a family unit. Whereas we know that when you look at other members of the of the big cat family, you look at lions and tigers. Do have some kind of social situation where you'll have a pride of them that that live together for for uh, beneficial means. So it's it's interesting because you can see arguments for and against why people don't see more than one. So I don't know, but when people do see more than one, it's very interesting that we don't tend to see or hear about many juveniles being cited. There are some amazing encounters Mm. where I know when I was speaking with David Weatherly, we were talking about one of the encounters in his particular, one of his latest books. And I've forgotten the state it was in. Four people clearly saw two parents and a juvenile playing for, for several minutes uh, in a clearing, which is one of those that once again, as we've had recently uh, uh, a study done that said, oh, everybody that sees a Bigfoot, is mistakenly identifying a, a black bear which is fine if you look at a bigfoot encounter without any other supporting evidence that if somebody says yes i've seen a bigfoot you you don't care about what it was doing or what made it stand out you just go well they, they probably have thought it was a bear if you drill past the actual just sighting often these creatures are clearly not a bear in the way that they behave or the way that their limbs move or the way that they walk so it's it's very easy mm. to create an answer for a question you don't want too much depth to, shall we say?
0: I'm going to rapidly move on because I wanted to bring something else in because it's still something that you don't really want to bump into on on a dark night in a lane, and that's a uh, yes. That's a a hellhound with a red glowing eyes. I love
1: black dog stories. Shucks, bar guests, pad foots, wherever people want to call them around the the United Kingdom, it's it's something I've had a long history of. Obviously, where I live in Sheffield, there are two notable encounters with uh, hellhounds, one less than half a mile from where I'm sat right now, which is uh, a very haunted location in Sheffield known as Bunting Nook, which is supposed to be haunting. There's supposed to be a a, a red-eyed, black, hairy black dog live up there, Reeves, and also uh, a very famous encounter from the end of the 19th century where a, a young man walking home, near the botanical gardens which is just off ecclesall road in in sheffield was uh pounced on by a hellhound that that chased him home so <laughs> they are creatures that i've always been really interested in and I, once again they're one of those things that i think used to be prescribed to the past and we kind of folklore dropped out of fashion yeah. and people didn't really talk about our wonderful history of of imps and goblins and the fae and mere people and Bogarts and and black shucks and and things and i think over the last 20 years we've had a real revival in in the uk and britain in regards to going back to these wonderful collections of folklore and stories and looking into them and bringing them forwards and and black dogs are something that seems to be really coming back into into fashion and and people are really sort of looking back at the historical records so i just find them very interesting because there are little nuances to them that that are, are quite odd like some can't cross water some won't go over a bridge some keep pace with people on motorbikes or people in cars see them and the and the dog seems to be keeping up speed other people say it guides them home it protects them so it, it's a real mishmash of contradictions really i think is the best thing there doesn't seem to be a hard and fast set of rules for these creatures whatever they are
0: you think of the the black dog or the hellhound it's connected to sort of kind of horror. Hands uh, yes. of the Baskerville, that kind of thing, and oh, oh if I see a black dog, um, someone's going to die because it's mm. a, you know, it's an omen. It's a, you know, it's a harbinger of mm. doom. I do think that there is a folklore. It's kind of there's a resurgence in it now. There, there's a lot of people that are yeah. writing books on it, and they're you know bringing it back, and and it's kind of um, kind of at the forefront. The black dog, the hellhound. It's kind of being mm. it's out there, and I, I think it's cool to bring stuff back from our. Our past, our history, our folklore—bringing it back and bring it into sort of people's lives and and give them access to it. Yeah. I think it, I think it's brilliant. So I, I was going to add to that. I, I was going to say that with not only hellhounds or black dogs or whatever you want to call them, but what about things like mm. fairies and stuff? Because we think of people. Uh, we talk about fairies and oh, the little <laughs> the little fairies in the forest and. And and he's a nice little man, and he no, they're 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 a little angry, they're little angry gits that don't like you, and they'll lure you in the forest, and <laughs> you'll become their slave, and you'll never <laughs> get out of there.
1: Well, I've I've been very fortunate throughout my life to have friends from all over the place. So I've got some Irish friends. So I've been very aware of how much respect that they still have towards the Fae, even into the modern era. And I think once again, they're one of those subjects that if you give it a cursory once over, you will think that they're all sweetness and light, and everybody bases their opinion on what they've seen in Disney films and believe that everything's tinkable. But when you look, as mm. you say, into the folklore and the story, very few people cross the Fae and come out of it well. <laughs> mm. I don't think it matters which country in the UK you go to, be it Ireland, Northern Ireland, Isle of Man, Scotland, Wales, England. Everybody's got stories about people who were stupid enough to try and double cross the fae and they usually come a cropper. Um, I mean obviously there are stories where they've been helped or supported. The famous story from Wales about the 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 man who who married a, uh, a a woman of the fae and the only rule was that he wasn't to strike her three times or she would just go ended up doing so and she went and and took her took all his all his cattle with her back to the lake from where she came. People who've been fairy led in the in the woods or or tempted through little portals mm. that they'll see in in hillsides and things there are numerous stories of of these kind of things, but you only have to look at how ingrained the tradition is in Ireland where people will still plow round hawthorn trees and and leave them there and people will divert roads because they don't want to be upsetting fairy forts and obviously we've had recent cases in both Ireland and Iceland where they've had road changes made so they don't cause any problems with the Fae. So um, whether I believe in it or not, my understanding of the Fae has increased so, so much since I started doing the show, primarily because I, I knew next to nothing four or five years ago about the modern Fae. Now I know that there is a massive community of people who are really into this, who believe, that even still into the modern era, people are encountering what we would consider to be the fate.
0: I have read up a little bit about um, the fairies and the goblins and the little people and uh, how they kind of interact with us mm-hmm. on a a near invisible level and that sometimes people do catch sight of them in their houses as they're rummaging around and it's almost like uh, these little little beings yeah. are shocked, like, oh, they can see us and then they they scuttle off and some mm-hmm. people say, Oh yeah, they're about the size of a mobile phone. So uh yeah, yeah that's that's not small, but that's not big. It does make you um a little bit unnerving. So if you live in an old house and you hear things and you think, uh, you know, what's that? <laughs> I don't I, yeah. I don't own a cat, you know. But I'm just wondering that with stuff like that, um I I had this conversation a while back where when you talk about fairies and you talk about people that have been taken by the fairies and they disappear for a number of days and then they return and they tell that they Mm -hmm. don't have a memory. They go, I don't remember where I was. I met an old lady on the road and she said, do you want uh, an apple? And then it's three days later and I don't know where I've been. You kind of find a connection maybe with that and the modern day abduction phenomenon where people have visits from, the greys or or whatever they might be. And they, they have no memory of, of an event happening. It's only under Mm -hmm. hypnosis that they recall that they were taken somewhere. And and you look back in, in history where people have gone and been taken by the fairies and, you know, the fae and they've had, you know, they were taken to a place where Mm -hmm. they were made to dance for five hours or whatever, or they were taken to a banquet or, and then they recall it later that that, that they have Mm -hmm. very, you know, strange dreams about it. So I'm wondering that with civilization, with our social conditioning, that maybe over the years that we're able to tap into these different phenomenons, and these different phenomenons is not different phenomenons in the in the sense that they're all different things; that they're all the same thing. That they it presents itself in a different way, depending on our the way that we have been our pop culture, the way that we've been conditioned. Put it this way: if you go back to 1970s, right? and i say to you i'm um, i'm living in the 1970s and i have a um uh, i have a ufo in camera and i say to you yeah paul uh, i saw this ufo and it landed and do you know what this robot got out and he came over to me and said something in robot language and then he told me Mm. something and then got back in his spaceship and left. He was all silver. Well, if you look at pop culture, what was in the the TVs and movies back then, it was all like, you know, spaceship Mm. films with robots and stuff like Mm. that. You know, that was kind of in the public consciousness as where when you had uh, the book, Whitley Streber's book came out with Communion and the alien grey on the front and then we all started talking about greys and then way back before that uh, if you think about like The alien encounters and stuff They were all different Oh it was a Yeah it was a It was a man (laughs) He had five arms He was a lizard And you you think back to the 50s And you think of all the You know uh, The creature from the Black Black Lagoon And and stuff like that So I'm thinking Maybe there's a connection there With how we interpret the phenomenon And and how we interact with it Maybe there is a There's a there's, There's a You know Something A catalyst within us That triggers a certain response that this phenomenon, as as we said, like you know before, maybe the phenomenon mm. is is just one thing. Maybe it's an encapsulation of um, UFOs, uh, aliens, whatever, ghosts. It's all one thing, and that uh, it manifests its way in a way that we can interpret it. I, I don't know. It's all just my opinion. <laughs> I might be ta- I might be talking a lot of old nonsense. Well,
1: I think it was probably. An idea that I thought had more validity to it several years ago, as, as we've just been talking about the Fae, because a lot of social commentators or folklorists would suggest that people no longer see the Fae, they now see the grey. And it's, our, as you touch on there, our mm. cultural absorption that has changed what we encounter. We no longer see the little people of the woods anymore. We see space aliens coming to take us instead. And then when you start to open up these avenues of, of research and folklore and, and information, you begin to think that, well, well, people are still seeing all these things. People in, in North America are still having encounters with little people, but they're also still seeing aliens and they're also encountering hairy bipeds. Whereas here in the, in the UK, people are still claiming to have encounters with the fae of all kinds of shapes and sizes and also claiming to be in contact with Aliens and things like that. And it's, it's very strange how I think when you look at the work that perhaps Keel and, and Valet did where they were kind of thinking this was some kind of overarching confidence mm. trick on a universal level. I think sometimes
0: mm.
1: it's very easy to prescribe everything under that one banner, but then you start to find things and think, well, why are people seeing fairies and aliens? Surely it should be one or the other. And if people have continued to see certain creatures and, and not come forward, then surely everybody would be seeing them everywhere or they would all... It's, it's the cases that don't fit the pattern that I always get really interested in. And you only have to look at, you know, a prime example of that is is the explosion in, in the dogman phenomenon. I would imagine you'd be hard-pressed to kind of dig out any stories, really. You, you, you'd find a few, um, and I'm aware of a few where people believe that they were encountering werewolves in the sort of 18th and 19th century in North America. But now everybody's got Dogman and I've seen Dogman cases spring up all across the world since Linda Godfrey's amazing work on that particular case and how it all got, came to the, to the public consciousness at the beginning of the nineties. So I don't know, sometimes you, you just need to take a step back and look at things and think, well, once again, I think it's easier to kind of say everything must be this because it just stops the possibility of of developing your knowledge. The, the one thing I've found is I thought I knew a lot four or five years ago before I started doing my show and speaking with people and reading as much as I now do. I now realize I knew next to nothing in the scheme of things. Um, compared to your normal person, I probably knew quite a lot, but now I realize just how little I knew mm. about everything. I'm, like I said to you earlier, I knew next to nothing about the modern fae encounters and the people working in that particular field. How uh, folklore was coming back to the fore and and the investigations that were going on. That I believe parapsychology had dropped off the map. I know that isn't the case, and there are several universities in North America that are endeavoring to to continually still prove the existence of of life after death on a variety of fields. So, I think. It's it's a difficult one. It might all be a great big joke, and we all might be uh, having our legs pulled by whatever. But then you begin to think, well, who's responsible then? Who is having this joke?
0: Well, I sometimes think that. I think if who's behind, if it's um, one thing, then who is that one thing? What is that one thing, and why are they doing it? Oh, they must be pretty <laughs> bored. I've I've done everything. I've got everything. Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna muck with them. I'm just gonna yeah. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna make a, a pig man appear in Cannock Chase.
1: It's one of those strange places that we've got in the UK. We've got two or three of these areas that are just, as, as my good friend Paul Sinclair would say, would be uh, extreme case high strangeness mm. of a variety of things. And Cannock Chase is one of those where you've got all sorts going on. You've got people seeing all kinds of strange things and you know weird cases that cover all kinds of the 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 Fortean phenomenon rooms from UFOs to strange creatures to Aliens to people hearing dis- disappearing time, time slips. People encountering the Fae. There's all kinds of weird things. You know, East Yorkshire is another one. You've got certain areas, certain places in Scotland that have got a reputation as well. So I'm, yeah, it's it, it it's one of those areas. I've I've not been to it for a very long time. So I'm I'm overdue, uh, primarily to probably to pay homage to the to the old stamping grounds of Nick Redfern more than anything. I
0: think it's a fascinating place yeah. and it, i mean what is it 40 square miles or something of uh and they have i mean they've modernized it a lot now they've got like a bmx uh, not BMX, <laughs> uh called, what am i living <laughs> in the 1980s uh they've got a mountain bike uh trail there and they've got a walking trail they've got they have live music events don't they now they got like a big live thing yeah. there. uh so it is very modernized but also it's very open you can go off and wander and yeah people have had some weird stuff people have seen pig man phenomenon mm-hmm. you've got the uh the poltergeist phenomenon people have had things thrown at them strange lights in and around the trees you've got mm-hmm. the uh a dog a dog man as well dog man has been seen there or something like and also large dog has been seen so yeah there's lots of stuff that's gone on there so maybe there's a there's some sort of intersection there but i, I don't i don't know i mean it's uh there's so many things that are written about it you get to a point where you think well what is someone making stuff up here? is—is is this actually happening? But this, there is a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. goes on there. But before we end this episode, before we were rushing to the end, but I, I do want to – there's one more thing I want to get your opinion on because it's one thing that I think that's um, – it, it's fascinated me for a long time. And, of course, uh, you know who I'm talking about. You're, you're going to know exactly the, the man that's at the forefront of this. But yeah, people who vanish – people who go into the national parks in America and over here and all around the world and they go or they yeah. die in very mysterious circumstances what 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 what's your what's your feelings about that
1: terrifyingly creepy cases in, in, in all of that I mean it, it is one of those things obviously David polius is is the person that's probably brought this forward in into the yeah into the modern arena really um, there have been some incredible cases I mean the thing for me in regards to some of these is that some of them are just so baffling that you you just can't get your head around it. But I think once again, we also have to take a step back because there is this arrogance that we have that because we've got technology that we can find anybody, We can we know everywhere, we've mapped everything and we haven't really because it doesn't take you long to go as you were saying earlier about some of the forests in North America, are just vast expanses of land where you've no idea. You imagine trying to fly a drone over that in high summer, you're never going to see anything through the canopy, are you? There's, but it's mm. it's almost as if the Earth swallows these people up, or you have the cases where people are found and their their clothes are missing or items of theirs appear. 10 miles from where the body's found and there's no evidence that that person's been to that particular site. So how's that got there? Or people start acting really strangely. I mean, some of the cases really do put the creeps at you because I think in this modern era, I think the one thing that scares people more than anything is is just disappearing. Because it, it happens so often that we... I think sometimes we just try to ignore that people disappear all across the world every day for a variety of reasons, Reeves, but sometimes it's the fear of not knowing the answer to what's happened that probably makes people so uncomfortable about that particular subject.
0: I've kind of read about it for a number of years now. And I've obviously I've followed a lot of uh, um, mm. stuff that, you know, that's been out there on the internet and, uh, the you know the the missing four one one films and stuff, and I think that uh, there are a lot of cases where people have fallen foul of maybe they've come across someone that they didn't need to come across, or they've come across a an angry am- animal or something, and they you know they've lost their life that way. But there are cases out there where people have mm. just seem to have just vanished off the face of the earth. Just they've yeah. run past someone, yeah. they've run around a corner and then they've they've gone they've vanished and and then they did they have these huge searches and everyone searches everywhere you know down to the the square foot they search everywhere and then three or four weeks later Mm -hmm. the person's belongings or part of their remains turns up in an area where Mm -hmm. was researched previously and and you think to yourself well how was that missed? And then the other strange thing is where a lot of these people's remains turn up is near water Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, there's this water connection where that's unsettling as well, because there's this similarities where stuff like that is happening. And it's kind of like, like, as you just said, one of the other unsettling things is where you, they find people's belongings and it's almost like those items have been put, Mm -hmm. placed there neatly before the person or they find people and they find their the person uh after a period of time and the person's yeah. clothes are all in the wrong or wrong way around or they've got the wrong yeah. clothes on or it's you know it's yeah. it's bizarre or little children go missing and they're found and they tell a story uh, that they met yeah. you know the bear of the woods looked after me or uh i was taken somewhere and you think well what you know what's going on here what these places are vast and and we we really don't know what's out there. Anyway, Paul, I think we've come to the end of this episode. I think we've I think we've covered pretty much every <laughs> we've we've touched on every topic that I had on my on my list of things to talk about. Um but what I was gonna say to you, what what's in store for your podcast in the future? What what, what plans have you got and have you got anything uh like special lined up? Um well we're just gonna
1: keep trying to find interesting people to speak to. Um I'm always looking for new guests or people i've not spoken with before i when i before i started i had a uh, a list of people i'd always wanted to get on the show and then i've still got some pretty well-known names that i've yet to have the chance to speak to so uh, i'm going to keep trying to get those people on (laughs) um and just continue to to keep doing what we do for both my show mysteries and monsters and obviously my co-hosting duties in in regards to the ghost story guys but it's you know Finding interesting subjects, new people to speak with, fascinating guests, and uh, learning as I go.
0: Hmm. I, I know what you mean there. It's always good to get, um, I do enjoy talking to uh, people that are like-minded. and I also, I do enjoy uh, talking to people that also are podcasters, uh, investigators, or whatever, because they everyone brings a different dynamic to a conversation. And you really never, you never really know what you're going to get and mm. uh you know you just put some questions on the table and you think let's see where we go from there and it's i, I do like those guests but it is it is difficult it is difficult for everyone's so busy now i think yeah. everybody's making up for not being able to sort of do anything for the past couple of years nothing you know i want to do all this now and i want to get it, it all done as quickly as possible so <laughs> yeah i mean excellent i mean we'll keep doing what you're doing uh, i totally enjoy your shows and your episodes you. and likewise I've, yeah, I mean it's 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 good stuff, and as I say, it's uh, it's always good to sort of have. Uh, you know interesting guests on and I'm sure you'll be back on another episode at some point where we will do a catch-up I like to do catch-ups with people and and see what they've been up to so give it a few months and I'll get you on again but anyway I hope everybody out there listening in paranormal land enjoyed this episode I did uh, I say Paul will be back at some point and I say go check out his uh, his podcast all the all the links of to all what he does is going to be in along with this show so uh, yeah anyway just thank you again Paul uh, thanks for coming on um and uh until next time speak to you soon
1: thank you very much my pleasure humbled to have been invited and have had a great time take care thank you Reeves.